1: Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein, I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a leaf blower and I love film. As Robert Thiers said, Knowledge is power, is time, is money, is popcorn, is movies, is heartache, is love, is feels good now, is AMC cinemas. Yep. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Kevin Smith, Mark Frost, Sharon Stone, and even Cred Plambles. But this week it is the brilliant and amazing and wonderful actor Paul Walter Hauser. Get over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 20 minutes of chat, laughs, secrets. We talk about beginnings and endings. There's all sorts of stuff there with Paul. You can get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So, Paul Walter Hauser, he is a brilliant actor. You know him from Richard Jewell, you know him from one of my old-time favourite shows I think you should leave, you know him from Cruella, and you know him from the brilliant Blackbird, which is on Apple TV, which he's in with Taron Egerton. It's fucking brilliant. They're all going to win Emmys. It's amazing. He's fantastic. I met him very recently. Turns out he's fucking funny as well. What a treat. So I was very excited to record this with him. We did it over Zoom. Lovely time. I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 226 of Films To Be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an award-winning actor, a writer, a sketko, A stand-up, a film star, a TV star, a man with such range, he can play anything, anywhere, at any time. He's a myth, he's a legend, and he's a great, and he's here with a bowl of cereal. Please welcome to the show your favourite and mine. I can't believe he's here. He's here right now. He's about to pour the milk in his cereal. It's Paul Walterhauser! (laughs) um what a generous
2: this is a giant bowl of cereal
1: that's huge i couldn't work out if it was visually looked bigger than it is because it's nearer me no
2: it's it's the size of a toddler's torso right thank you for having me man this is so fun i love i love movies the few times i've met you i love talking to you so this is very easy for me uh movies and you
1: i'm very excited to talk with you more we met a couple of times you're a right bloody laugh you are the thing that I just found out, which I didn't know about you. And now it's all I want to talk about. Although we can talk about what a serious, brilliant actor you are. is You do stand up or you did stand up on your Wikipedia. It says started stand up at 16. Tell me everything.
2: I started doing stand up comedy at 16. And I would say about three to four years ago, I kind of let it go. I really, I really stopped doing it about four years ago. And, uh, I I just never broke in. I just kept doing bringer shows where you got to bring all these people. And by the way, I have a ton of friends and my film (laughs) credits would also help me get film or TV credits would help me get some people there. But like nobody ever invited me to like be on a showcase where I get 10 minutes with five other highly respected comics like that just never happened. So I kind of stopped doing it. But. I loved doing it when I did do it. And I kind of went from, I think the first seven years, it was me trying to sound like somebody else. And right. then like eight or nine years in, I really hit a stride of like, this is who I actually am. I'm able to talk to people the way I would with my friends. And
1: yeah.
2: And that was really fun. You know, I did the comedy store, uh, the what's the place in Santa Monica. My brain is fried from years of s- smoking weed. Um, but I, you know, I, Oh, uh, the cafe, Formosa Cafe, the comedy store, Meltdown Comics. Like there were places in L.A. that I would frequent and hit. But I feel like a place like the comedy store, you kind of have to like be their slave for seven to ten years to like become one of them, which Mm -hmm. I wasn't really willing to do. You know,
1: if I said to you, I'm doing a gig, come and do 10 minutes, would you come?
2: 100%.
1: Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Now, you're kind of a bit more. Here's, Here's my hot take on you. You're sort of, if we had to put you in one category, I think most people know you as a very serious, very gifted, talented actor who does very serious dramas. But I met you in two seconds in. I was like, oh, he's fucking funny. And also you're in my favourite comedy show of all time. I think you should leave. And I think that's oh, the most fun you've ever had.
2: I'm obsessed with Tim Robinson. I think oh he's goodness. so funny. When I when I met him though, like, even when I worked with him, he was so kind of withdrawn and shy and and I think it was genuine. I don't think it was anything yeah. bad. I think he kind of seems to save his crazy either for performing, writing, or maybe his close personal relationships. But I just like meeting meeting and working with Tim for me was like how a dramatic actor might feel about getting to work with like Ang Lee. Yeah, like,
1: yeah, like yeah. It, it
2: was it was it was a big deal for me.
1: Oh man, it's one of the best sketches. you one. That's a fucking phenomenal show. The
2: best. The best. Anytime I'm depressed, like, yeah, I was having a really bad day doing press, which is a first world sentence if I've ever heard one, (laughs) but I was having an emotional sort of broken roller coaster moment. And I just stopped in the middle of the hair and makeup stuff. And I go, I just I I need a minute. I just have to watch this. And I played Uh, a sketch from I think you should leave. I did the Detective Crashmore trailer (laughs) and then him talking at the junket thing. And like immediately, I don't know if it was zero to 60, but like I went from zero to 40 uh, within five minutes of watching Tim Robinson,
1: you know. It's a wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, Little Buff Boys is maybe my favorite thing of all time. I can't get over Little Buff Boys. Uh,
2: I don't know him. No, don't pick him. He can't <laughs> win. Don't pick him.
1: <laughs> anyway, the point is this. You, so when you did Blackbird, which is an excellent show, and you did it with the excellent Taron Edgerton and you're both excellent together so my sort of i genuinely would be curious to know i'm assuming that's a very you're playing a very intense for those who haven't seen it you're essentially a possible paedophile serial killer and yeah it's it's not the most fun it's very very intense you have lots of very brilliant intense conversations with each other and you seem fun he seems fun in real life did you have fun or were you very like like between takes, are you laughing? Are you messing around? Or was it very like focused and moody? Like what was it actually like to make?
2: It depended on the day, man. As you well know, some days are lighter than others. You're an actor. Mm-hmm. So it's like if if one of us had a monologue or we had to just say something particularly gruesome, we would kind of keep our distance and just make it about the work and right. not not go method where it's like, I can't talk to anybody. I don't give me the cheese sandwich. Like it wasn't like that. It was, it was just us being withdrawn into, into focus. But I would say out of every, if there are five shooting days in a week, I would say three of them were spent cracking jokes or taking selfies or talking about movies versus the other two where we were a little more focused in, by the way, Taron is really funny yeah. and uh, he's got kind of a, a smart wit where mine can be a bit buffoonish. He's got a smart wit and he's a great singer. And, you know, we really had a lot of fun, uh, especially when we are off, off camera.
1: What was it like with the other prisoners? You're all there all the time, were you? Did you all become one big gang or did you never speak to the other prisoners?
2: I always talk to the background actors. I never make them feel less than. I'm always taking selfies. One guy I got his address and sent his kids a Cobra Kai picture and autograph like i try to crack a few jokes and chat with them and ask them what else have you been doing have you ever done theater or have you ever gotten a speaking part but i also don't over engage because sometimes if you over engage then they're like i'm gonna send you a script i wrote and i'm like yeah no <laughs> i'm gonna fake covid and sars and and keep you away from me um and that's not because i hate on them it's because dude life is short Time is valuable and I can't even get my own shit made when I have like famous people attached to my movies and TV stuff. So if I can't get mine made, I'm probably not going to get Ricky from New Orleans who did five days on, you know, fucking Blackbird. Do you have stuff you've written? I've written 21 features since I was 16 years old. I've written six original, five or six original TV pilots, and I've written probably 25, 30
1: sketches. And how many of these have been made? Zero. That is that is astonishing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it sucks, but also, like, I'm in it for the long haul at this point. I'm not going to quit my job with six children, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to keep <laughs> fucking going. I I also just love it. I love writing, and um, yeah. I feel like God, someday I'm going to wake up, and God's just going to throw a crazy blessing in my lap, and it'll all be... Uh, worth it in some really cool way.
1: The bet, look, the thing is, at some point, one thing you 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 do will get made, and then the people will be like, "Have you got anything else?" And you'll come in with a fucking truck full of scripts and go, "Oh, I got fucking something else." You fucking late coming shits. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, here's here's the thing too is like, some of them are terrible because I wrote them when I was you know 20, 22 years old. But yeah. but I would say reason reasonably. There's probably one pilot and two or three features that are really good that are just kind of like waiting for someone to give a damn or give a budget, which is giving a damn. I I became buddies with Mark Duplass. He and I are talking about trying to do like a really low budget thing together that we can just get made with friends and like everybody who participates does it for scale. And then they get like 5% back end and we all share in the profit, you know.
1: Great. I like that. (sighs) Paul i forgotten to tell you something that I should have probably said at the top. You've died. You're dead. You're a dead man. You're dead. Dead. You're dead. Yeah. How did you die? Yeah, let's take a moment. Mm. Oh,
2: sorry.
1: I'm sorry. This is when you
2: it? when you die, you don't know you're dead, right? Because you're mm-hmm. still... you're You're eating in it cereal. And, uh,
1: you're eating c- don't give me those Don't give me those
2: the eyes that's so fucking funny i die i mean it, do, do do you want it to be painful or quick i have an option for
1: both it it's entirely your your choice like this is how you either think yeah. you're going to die or would like to die so let's say both and we can make a decision
2: my my thought is i'm, I'm either dying in my sleep at 93 no pain basically mm. an immediate transition from a dream about heaven to the actuality of heaven. Wow. Or mm-hmm. I die from tackling a mass shooter off of a balcony of a hotel. Wow. I, everybody's like, wow. Well, Hauser died at 51, but he tackled a mass shooter and they both fell 32 stories down to their death.
1: Wow. That'd be dope. That's, that's pretty Mass great. shooters
2: are dope. I mean, killing one would
1: be. Yeah, dope. yeah, yeah. And killing I'm one. Tired. Without using a gun would also be really great. It would feel like really like you made quite a profound point there. Do you know what I mean?
2: Some real diehard shit.
1: Yeah. 51, you say. Do you think that's enough? Do you think you've had it by then?
2: It's not enough, but that's the idea of heroics. There's a sacrifice to be made. You die in 93 in your sleep. It's not much of a sacrifice. It's pretty cush.
1: Well, I don't believe in the peaceful dying in your sleep, I think there might be loads of pain. You just don't know because they were, you know, they died. True. You know, no one ever goes, oh, I died peacefully. It might look like it, but they might be screaming on the inside. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, probably. Yeah, Yeah. for sure.
1: So I'd go with the tackling the mass shooter. Do you worry about death? Yes and no. I'm a bit ambidextrous
2: with my feelings on death in the sense that I really do believe in God and heaven, and I've already lived a really charmed existence and I've been very spoiled in in friendships and creative work and the fact that I'm healthy even though I'm overweight like there's a billion reasons to be grateful but yeah I feel like I've been given a lot and I genuinely feel like something good'll happen when I die having said that every time I act like I'm willy-nilly and super cool about dying for every moment I say that there's always another moment where you know I I get a headache and suddenly feel woozy. Like, like there was a moment, uh, Brett, back like five years ago, I accidentally took a mu- muscle relaxer with like a hard cider or a beer. Right. And I, I called my buddy who's a doctor. My buddy Chris Archangeli. I immediately called him because I didn't know what was wrong with me. And then I realized, oh shit, I forget, I wasn't thinking. And I called my buddy Chris. I go, I, I feel really messed up. Here's what happened. And he said to me, he goes, How many did you take? I said like one muscle relaxer and like one beer or cider. He goes, how do you feel? I go, I feel like I'm getting a lap dance from a demon. Uh, and he said to me, he goes, Paul, there are senior citizens, elderly folks who take two, three muscle relaxers a day with a, a, a menu of cocktails throughout the day. He's like, you're an idiot. You made a little mistake. You're going to be fine. You don't have to call an ambulance. Cause I was literally <laughs> ready to call an ambulance. Shit. Uh So it's just funny how I try to play a tough guy and I'm like, I believe in God, everything's cool. But like, I definitely flip out on occasion when I realize, oh, I could die or do I think I'm going to? It's 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 a little bit of a dishonest amount of confidence
1: I have, you know. But you think there's a heaven?
2: Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Gun to my head. Yeah. I also think a lot more a lot more people are there than people think. I I think it's a very inclusive place.
1: Open door policy. Do you think everyone's that allowed in?
2: I think it's like open door in the sense of like, even if you don't believe in God while you're alive, like who's to say that the mercy of God doesn't allow people in their final moment of breathing or death where God's just like, yo, I know, hmm. I know shit was fucked up with your dad and he abused you. I know the people at the church you went to were really judgmental and you stopped believing in me, but like, I am not my followers. I'm greater than them. They're broken too. I love you. You want to come hang out? And then, like, we don't know. But if I was a betting man, I bet that God's love is unknowably boundless. That was what I would bet on.
1: I love it. Can I ask the difficult question then? Is Hitler going in? Hitler in heaven? God says, even you, son, come on in.
2: Hitler in heaven. Uh, Once again, if I were to bet, I would say no, because I think he was bent on destruction. And I think there's a difference between... There's a difference between being bent on hate and destruction or being a product of hate and destruction. I think most mm-hmm. of us are products. I think the ones that stick out are the ones who who are orchestrating and constructing and planning and, and doing. So I have a great, great amount of mercy for the mm-hmm. vast majority of people. But the ones at the very top who have the most money, who pretend to care about people and who all, forever alter the shape of existence and, and um, the quality of life for many. Those are the ones that I go, well, they're probably going to fucking hell.
1: <laughs> and, and so you think there's a hell as well?
2: Yeah, that's kind of the Christian thing. You kind of buy yeah. the both.
1: I love it. Well, listen up, buddy boy. You're right. There is a heaven. It's true. It's all true. You're welcome. And it's busy. You're right. It's pretty busy. It's a little, it's a little, dare I say it, it's a little crowded. You're like, I thought there'd be. A, <laughs> I thought there'd be a bit more space. This is heaven. It's lovely but occasionally you're like, you're sighing a bit because people everywhere. But it is filled with your favourite thing. What's your favourite thing? Puppies and babies. Okay. Well, let me tell you, there's puppies and babies everywhere. Everywhere. Fuck
2: yeah, I'm into it.
1: You said it was crowded. It's crowded with puppies and babies. Climbing over each other, jumping around, wanting your attention. It's great. They're delighted to see you. But they want to talk to you about your life through film. Can you imagine? Isn't that weird? Puppies and babies. I buy it. First thing to ask you is: (laughs) the first thing to ask you is, what's the first film you ever saw? Paul Walter Hauser, star of TV and film.
2: I would say to the pug
1: and the one-year-old:
2: Do you mean in theaters or just in general?
1: I think they'd go. You know what? Let's hear both.
2: Yeah. So in the theater, I think it was Home Alone. I believe Home Alone in 1990. I was four years old. And I saw it in a movie theater back when you could smoke cigarettes in a movie theater.
1: Wicked.
2: So there was a guy smoking a cigarette. There was another guy drinking a glass of beer. <laughs> it was like a movie theater owned by mobsters or some shit. It was, it was pretty <laughs> archaic, you know? And then as far as the first film I remember seeing, Art Adventure, I guess I would imagine it was like The Little Mermaid or something. It was probably yes. an animated film at age two or three.
1: Did you go to the cinema with with family? Do you have siblings and stuff? Who who took you when you were four? I
2: did. Me and all my siblings went. I don't even know if my little sister Elise went. She would have been two, but maybe. How she many did. of you are there? Uh, I'm one of four: uh, oh, wow. older brother Matthew, older sister Julia, myself, and my younger sister Elise. And our babysitter took us to Home Alone. And my mom was super pissed because it became the family's like favorite movie, and she's like, "I should have been the one to take you guys to Home Alone." She was really bummed.
1: Uh, <laughs> do you remember thinking, oh, I want a bit of that when you went to the cinema? Did you think I'd love to be in this
2: shit? 100%. 100%. Right. What is this magic thing where I get to partake in somebody's story and be entertained? And then it it becomes a craving where you crave stories. You know, yeah. that was my indoctrination of that. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, my big takeaway... Macaulay Culkin was not my favorite person in the movie. Even as a child, mm. my favorite person was Daniel Stern, who, of course, plays Marvin in Home Alone. Yeah. And I got him tattooed on my arm with a bunch of other guys. These are my oh, childhood yeah. comedy heroes.
1: Right. I'm reading this for the audio listeners. Short and Stern and Farley and Varney and Carrie and Williams. Wow. Do you know them about- Well, Martin Short. Yeah. Daniel, Daniel Stern. Yep. Chris Farley, Varney, is that Ernie? Ernie goes to count. Ernest. Ernest. Yeah,
2: Jim Varney.
1: Jim Varney, yeah. wow. Jim Carrey and Montel Williams?
2: No, Vanessa. Okay. Vanessa Williams. Um, no, I'm kidding. Serena. Um, I think Robin's the GOAT. I think Robin's the number one comedy drama actor of all time. Yeah. Nobody did it at the height of, like, the mm-hmm. Fisher King Dead Poets Society, Goodwill Hunting, One Hour Photo, and then yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire, Mork and Mindy, Aladdin, mm. uh, Hook, which I know I'm not supposed to talk about because everybody talks about it. But
1: I love Hook. We can talk about it. It's been a while. But dude, love dude, her.
2: Robin Williams is is the G. He's the number one.
1: Great shout! Great shout! What is the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I love being scared. Not as a child though. I mean, the film that scared me the most was the mini series of It with yeah. Tim Curry. I caught like five minutes of the film. I, I crept into the living room while my dad and older brother were watching it. And I caught the scene in the beginning where he's in the drain and he's inviting the kid to come join him. And then his mouth turns into a giant like yellow fangs. I really kid you not. I, I really kid you not. That messed me up for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah, I was so afraid of Tim Curry as the clown in It. That it went from me not being able to sleep at night and like praying to God, being afraid. And about a year in, I just started talking to it, the clown. I talked to it to try to take the power away from it. Wow. So I would act like I was undisturbed or undeterred by it, by its presence, and would talk to it just so that I could then go to sleep. And I'm telling you, this is the mind of a seven, eight, maybe nine year old at the most. I never heard anything back, but I would talk to it as if to say, like, I'm not afraid of you because right. I'm making conversation with you. But like, I, I think that's pretty, pretty yeah. fucking astute for an eight year old. Do you know
1: what I mean? So you'd have, you'd be like, Hey, it, I'm going to sleep now. I know you're in here, but I'm not scared of you. So I'm just going to go sleep. Night night.
2: Something like that. Combined with telling them what I did that day, like how my day was
1: like. He was like your pen pal.
2: Uh, I mean, let's call it what it really is. It's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs>
1: Hey. It, Stockholm. Yeah. Had a nice dinner today. How was your day? It never answered back.
2: Had a bit of beef and potatoes. <laughs> had a bit of beef and potatoes. Um <laughs> and I would make love to it. No, I'm kidding. Mm. I won't take it that for. Um <laughs> but no, I that movie scared the holy shit out of me. And uh I would say as an adult the film that just dis- I'll say disturbed me the most was uh Ari Aster's film um, Hereditary. Hereditary.
1: Me too. I,
2: I, I walked out with two minutes to go something right. in my sp- so you know when you have to throw up and you feel the like the warm spit come up in your mouth
1: yeah
2: and your stomach changes it's like a temperature change in your body
1: yeah I
2: had that moment this has never happened to me since or before I had that moment watching hereditary where as the and spoiler alert! If those are listening who want to see the film, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But as the the sort of spirit, ghost body flies into that like uh, treehouse where they're bent mm. down and they're they're worshiping mock idols of Christ, something in my body literally turned up. Like, like a stovetop and mm. I walked out of the theater like I was going to fight somebody. I was like, my spirit wow. had been disrupted. Not even my mind, my yeah. spirit. And I stood up and I walked out of the film and never saw the full ending. Um wow. And I just assumed that's because I, you know, I I'm a Jesus guy. I, yeah. I believe that all people can easily have this Holy spirit in them if they believe in God. And I, mm. And he was being openly mocked at the end of this film and it was really dark. They were like yeah. naked, bent down. And I was like, I'm fucking not into it, not into it. And and I say that, by the way, I say that with no judgment on Ari Aster. I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah. And he made what he wanted to make and it was very effective, but not for me.
1: Oh, man, yeah. that film gave me proper nightmare. Like that fucked me up, that film, for a, for a solid week. It's really, me too. really fucked me up. That's the most scared I've been
2: me and my me and my friends really we were very negatively affected by it for like weeks after we were all yeah. talking about it,
1: yeah, interesting. What about crying? What's the film that made you cry the most? Do you cry a lot? Are you a crier?
2: I'm a big crier. I'm such a I'm the biggest wuss ever. It's a wonderful life consistently makes me cry like I've seen it thirty times, mm-hmm. but somehow. I cry at the same parts every time. Kind of unprovoked. Yeah. It's not like I'm like getting ready to cry. It's like it just <laughs> has the effect, you know. It's it, mm. it's like I'm cutting onions all of a sudden. Sorry, you don't say onions there, right? Scallions. <laughs> what are they? What do you call them?
1: Uh, carrots. We call them carrots.
2: Carrots. Yeah. I listen. Carrots, courgettes, <laughs> rocket. I mean, I I I know. I know. You
1: get it. You fit right in.
2: A variety shepherd's fucking pie. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what movie made me cry to the degree that I was almost worried about
1: myself? What was that? Uh,
2: I saw Interstellar in theaters, the Chris Nolan movie.
1: Yeah, that. And the scene
2: up. where he—spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If, and by the way, anybody who's watching, listening to this, like you're a movie fan, assumedly, like mm-hmm. watch these fucking movies. Interstellar has a scene where McConaughey is like a little mini ghost in a bookshelf from another dimension calling out to his daughter played by Jessica Chastain. And I wept. And once again, similar to the Ari Aster thing, I wept uh, suddenly. It was just like, it was a sudden thing that shifted. And the only thing I can equate it to is I told my buddy at the time in the theater sitting next to me, looking at me like the fuck Um, (laughs) I I equated to this. I felt like I was seeing something that I wasn't supposed to be seeing. Oh, really? It felt like some it felt like some bigger, grander secret truth that was being exposed to the masses. And I don't know why I felt that way or I haven't really I haven't unpacked it. I'd have to rewatch it and kind of emotionally, mentally unpack it. But but that really got to me. I really I really I wept pretty hard.
1: Wow. And that's not even the scene. The scene I would assume you're talking about is when he's watching the video of her of all the years he's missed. I didn't cry at
2: that as much as the bookshelf. The bookshelf yeah. fucked yeah. me
1: Because you saw another dimension you didn't think you were supposed to, because it broke the natural order of things in your head. Is that it?
2: It's like a yeah, it's like it broke a spiritual fourth wall. It was really, really strange yeah. for
1: me. Do you watch Twin Peaks?
2: Never seen the old or the new, which I know is a uh, true blasphemous uh, reality as a movie TV guy. But but I do like David Lynch. I've seen a few of his
1: movies. I think I think that would ruin you. I see maybe sort of. Hacks is back for season
0: three. And so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy winning comedy series.
1: the film that you love most people don't like it. it is not critically acclaimed but you love it unconditionally
2: easy i love 1990s family comedies like for (laughs) kids and families like like i'm obsessed seen it a thousand times beethoven and (laughs) beethoven second which is a little edgy where rice charles Grodin, and bonnie hunt's daughter almost gets raped in Ooh. Beethoven
1: Second. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. She's at a house party on vacation. That's not what I remember. I remember puppies.
2: No, well, rewatch Beethoven Second. <laughs> it, it, it should have been rated R. I, I love Cop and a Half with Burt Reynolds. Yes. Have you seen yes. Cop and a Half? Yes, I have. Dude, it's so funny. That kid, <laughs> no- Norman D. Golden the Third. The kid Sweet playing kid. opposite Burt Reynolds, incredible. I love Three Ninjas. Have you seen Three Ninjas?
1: Yes, Three Ninjas.
2: Rocky loves Emily. And another one is House Guest with Sinbad and Phil Hartman. House Guest?
1: yes, House Guest.
2: So yes. good. So funny. Sinbad, <laughs> are you Sinbad wore the crown, man. Sinbad had the crown for a couple years. He was like one of the funniest dudes going. And then it, it kind of fizzled.
1: I had that Sinbad who i never seen live, would do entirely improvised stand-up every single time. That was the word on the street. Sinbad don't Need scripts.
2: One of my favorite stand-up specials of all time is Sinbad's, uh, I think it's called Brain Dead. Um, oh yeah? It's incredible.
1: Is it yeah, improvised, incredible. do you think? Or did he write it?
2: I think he wrote it, but I'm sure he riffs during it. There's some stuff that you know is rehearsed just watching it. He does like a musical number to some Motown song, and it's like... It feels more like sketch comedy than, than stand-up, which is kind of what I relate to.
1: Right. What about a film that you used to love, but you've watched recently and you've gone, oh, no, I don't like this anymore? For whatever reason that could be.
2: The Pinocchio animated film from 1940, the original Pinocchio.
1: To Disney? Yeah. Go on, because it's creepy as fuck.
2: Yeah, it plays like a, a child trafficking manual. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I don't know how it's... a. A family film. (laughs) There's also just like in general, like there's something very weird about all the parents being dead in kids animated films at Disney. I just find it very bizarre. Like I, yeah, I would like, I would like to know what What because if something is done too many times, you just start to wonder. Like these people have to be aware of it. Like why is that a consistent thing? You know, Hmm. not as much anymore, but it was for a time. I think.
1: I think that's like all fairy tales, though, and all fairy tales the parents are dead. Think it's A same. lot of them. That's true. Because maybe because it makes the kid have to go and do something because no one's looking after it, it. Makes
2: perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. But Pinocchio, Pinocchio, you know, there's a lot of Disney animated films I love. I love Robin Hood. I think it's from yeah. the 70s, the Robin Hood one. I love, love uh it. I love Beauty and the Beast. There's a lot of great yeah. ones, but Pinocchio's kind of fucked up. <laughs>
1: Pinocchio's weird. What's
2: <laughs> like I got I, I got I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example of how Deep my conviction is on this film. Okay. I got I got an audition to do the voice of Jiminy Cricket for the new Pinocchio movie with Tom Hanks, yeah. and I didn't do the audition. I just didn't do it. I was like, <laughs> I this, this, something feels fucked up. I just didn't.
1: Yeah, I don't want part of your your trafficking manual. I will say for the record, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I believe is now on Netflix, is fucking mm. phenomenal. Five stars.
2: That doesn't surprise me. I I wanted to take my nieces and nephews to that in theatres, but we all got sick with people were having COVID and flus and oh. colds. And it became a real nasty affair at the Hauser house on Thanksgiving. Mm, a lot of sickies.
1: That, that sounds gross. What is, the, <laughs> <laughs> what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but the experience you had around seeing the film will always make <clears throat> it special to you, Paul Walter Hauser. What's that?
2: I would say the the remake of The Lion King from 2020. That was the movie my wife and I saw on our first date. No way. Yahweh.
1: That's nice. It
2: was very nice. Very nice. That We went and saw it at the Midtown Arts Cinema in Atlanta, Georgia, while I was shooting Richard Jewell, the Eastwood mm-hmm. thing I did. So that will forever be a very important film. And I love the original, the cartoon, yeah. which is technically better than the live action. But, you know, it's... It's still a
1: good movie. But you weren't dating then. Yeah. Did you Did you kiss that day on the first day? No.
2: No. I I really deemed her to be a pretty conservative uh, woman in some regard, and she wasn't the dating sense of like, hey, I'm not just gonna you know go home with you type of thing. I did put my arm around her at one point, and Ooh. I definitely bought her a glass of wine at the theater, drinking wine, watching Lion King.
1: Did you put your arm around her during Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Did you time it or, or was it during a stampede? No,
2: but I did do the popcorn. I did do the popcorn trick, though.
1: Okay, that's Bottom right, it. Bottom of the bucket,
2: yeah. <laughs> I will also say that two experiences that were very important to me uh, yeah. film-wise were Children of Men Love it. and Napoleon Dynamite. Love I saw it. Children of Men and Napoleon Dynamite three times each. And yeah. I took new people every time I saw it. That's how passionately I felt about those movies. Good time, the Safety brother movie. Oh, I saw uh, that yeah. three. I saw that three times in theaters, and I took new people every time. And like that's kind of the the benchmark of whether or not I think a movie's truly extraordinary is if I keep going to see it in theaters with new people.
1: Can I ask you a question? Maybe you don't answer. I don't know. You, if you don't want, we can cut it. How was Clint Eastwood? Was that an easy film? I hear he does two takes. One take. Was it lovely or was it tough, scary? Can you lovely. Say?
2: Tough and scary because I was starring in a $40 million Warner Brothers yeah. biopic directed by Clint Eastwood. That was why it was scary and tough. Yeah. To but the actual on-set environment was amazing.
1: Uh, oh, really? Oh, great.
2: His crew is like a family. Clint only does like one or two takes. He tries to keep it to one, but his camera operator, Steve Campanelli, who is one of the best in the game, he always tries to push... Clint to do another one just for everyone's sake and he'll say stuff like hey boss i i think we can get that pan or that tilt better i'm yeah. um, not sure i got that perfectly that time, or you know blame it on the focus puller. so we'll, we'll do another one but yeah i love working with clint he threw great okay. dinner parties he was very self-deprecating very cool and uh for whatever reason he barely knew me but he had a hunch and he vouched for me to the studio yeah. when they wanted a movie star he said
1: i want paul hauser which is crazy love that what is the film you most relate to paul walter hauser
2: i'm gonna say waiting for guffman waiting for guffman from christopher guest yes was one of those one of those moments where i watched a movie and i said this is my exact sense of humor i love that people are giving committed straight performances albeit funny and that kind of stripped down low budget ensemble thing like that's to me, if I could just make those movies for the rest of my life, I'd I'd be fine. I would love that.
1: Love it. Here's why people tune in. Here we go. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen, Paul Hauser? And is it The Lion King?
2: There's a lot. There's a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Part of it's, you know, I, I went back and forth on possibly telling you Collateral, the Michael Mann film from 2004, because the whole time I'm just thinking, are Jamie and Tom going to get it on? In the taxi car. (laughs) Um, And I know I'm not the only
1: one. Yeah, it's tense. It's tense between delicious,
2: Delicious. Tom with his salt and pepper hair, just waiting for him to choke Jamie while mounting him. Jamie was sweaty
1: and stressed.
2: Tense. I'm going to say the movie The Mask. I remember seeing The Mask with Jim Carrey when I was probably 10 years old uh, or, or nine. And... Cameron Diaz's performance in the film and how they kind of captured her on screen, Mm. I think that was kind of a growing up moment for me of being like, women take care of children, to being like, I want to have sex with a woman. You know what I mean?
1: That entrance, the one shot, I believe it's a Steadicam or it's a crane that rushes towards Cameron Diaz, goes up her leg, over her body, to her face. She shakes her hair. I'd say that's the defining moment in half the world <laughs> in half the population of the world that image that shot is seared into our what, brains forever what's, what's what crazy joy. is i
2: i know what you mean and if yeah. and there are going to be people that listen to this who are like <laughs> he's being funny and there are going to be other people no. that go no that, and my grandfather my dad <laughs> yeah. me someday my son will see it he will be, yeah he will be affected in the same way that nine other generations were
1: it's, like, it's it, it, when you yeah. really think about it, it's like it is powerful. That is a powerful piece of footage. It's very powerful. In the same way that seeing something shocking or upsetting might stay with you. That image is in our brains forever.
2: I think the, the reason I think it's powerful is not because of what it purely is. You know, really, it's just like, here is a beautiful woman. Yeah. But what it is, what it is for men is in our psyche at that time, we're going, wow, if I could only be with somebody who looked like that. <laughs> so it's not even about the image, it's about some weird aspirational thing mm. in which men are like, I wanna play the human lottery. You know what I mean? There's something <laughs> sick there. There's something really <laughs> sick there.
1: Oh yeah, it's definitely not well. Speaking of sick, what's uh there's a subcategory, Traveling is Worrying widons. What's the film you found arousing that you weren't sure you should?
2: Con Air. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Put the bunny
2: back in the box. No, um, I—that that is a very euphemistic phrase. No, I Con Air, it's a bunch of dudes who are all like, mm-hmm. we're finally out of prison and instead of getting laid, we're all going to be on this plane together, which is kind of <laughs> dick-shaped. And uh, <laughs> we're all excited about freedom, but we're not really experiencing it yet. This is kind of yeah. like a prison in the air.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you like men in confined spaces.
2: I mean, yeah, Reservoir Dogs, that's kind of sexy. We're all wearing suits. We're mm. going to kill each other. Are we part of a team? Yeah. Maybe I'll split the diamonds with you. We'll run off together and split the money two ways instead of five. You yeah. Know, I, I, there, there's an energy there. You know what
1: I mean? Yeah, tense. You like tension between men in confined spaces. I mean, Blackbird would be on your list if you weren't in it. Maybe it is. Maybe there's it a weird
2: is. sexual energy in Blackbird. Yeah. There's a weird, like, funny thing of, like... These guys who are, you know, I think my character at least has like a weird affection right. toward Jimmy that like starts off like you're the bully. I'm I'm the nerd. We're from different tribes. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, we can become friends. And then they start talking about weird stuff with women. Yeah. And it's like it it almost becomes this thing of like sharing my perversity. It, it's like almost weirdly sexually tense in a way.
1: Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's true. What is objectively the greatest film ever? Objectively, might not be your favourite, but it's the greatest.
2: I would probably say uh, Sidney Lumet's and uh, Patty Chayefsky's Network.
1: Excellent answer that has I don't think ever come up on this podcast. Ten points for you. Pretty prophetic film. Yeah, great answer. You've seen that a lot? Probably twice.
2: Uh, It's the kind of film that the first time I saw it, I was just jaw dropped. Second time I saw it, I was like, whoa, this is as good as I remember. I'm excited for the third.
1: (laughs) What is the film you could or have watched the most over and over again?
2: I mean, Christmas movies are often what I watch the most because it's a yearly watch. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather go the non-Christmas film and say Dazed and Confused. Oh, really? I adore hangout movies. I'm obsessed with hangout movies. I love them. Uh, Empire Records, American Graffiti, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Diner. Like, I love hangout movies.
1: Love Diner. Yeah. Love Diner. What about, don't like to be negative, Paul Waterhouser, so we do it fairly quick. What's the worst film you ever seen?
2: There is a film that was made, I believe, in South Africa by an independent financier. And the the foreign wealthy financier who made this film thought, oh, we're gonna we're gonna piggyback off the success of E.T. And we're gonna make this um this other alien adventure film. And it was called Nuki. I think the most famous people in the film are probably Glynis Johns from Mary Poppins and Steve Railsback. Not a real famous cast, but this movie, Nuki N U K-I-E, is the craziest worst thing I've ever seen. But also to the degree that, like, I've made so many people watch it with me and just (laughs) they're laughing 30 percent of the time. 30 percent of the time they're laughing and 70 percent of the time they hate me and they're angry. It's uh, it's pretty great.
1: Uh, When you went on your first date with your wife, you'd met her before, had you?
2: No, we met on a dating app called Hinge.
1: So you met on the app, but so you've been chatting for a bit and then you were like, let's go see Lion King. How much time did you spend together before you went into the cinema?
2: Well, we had dinner before. I bought her dinner at a Tapas okay. place. Tapas, okay. T A P A S, not Topless.
1: Thank um, you.
2: I bought her dinner at a Tapas place called
1: uh <laughs> Hooters bo-
2: b- Hooters, Chicken <laughs> Wings, Owls, not breasts. Um, a place, a place called Bulla, uh in Atlanta. It's a really good Tapas place. We had a good meal. She showed up late, um, because she was in traffic and uh I think she showed up like 30 minutes late, so we really only had about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, I would say, of dinner, and then we headed to the theater. I think she just wanted to talk more, but I was hell bent on going to a
1: movie. You were like, "It's the Lion King." (laughs) Stop talking. It's the Lion King,
2: babe. Want to know what happens? It's the same (laughs) as the animated. Shut, shut the fuck up.
1: <laughs> um, if this is going to work, you're not going to talk through films, okay?
2: Unfortunately, that is kind of a deal breaker with me where like, I, I'll answer, I'll give a ratio where it's like, you get to ask a question every seven or eight minutes. Whoa. I can do seven to eight minutes. That's huge. But, but and well, I'm merciful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get one, you get one, you get one. You get one. And even that I'm mad about. I'm really mad. And when I answer it, which I will, I'll do it with a death stare.
2: The worst is when you watch it with somebody's parents or your own parents, Mm because they want to ask a question every 45 seconds. It's like a third grader trying Mm. to do the math of a a university student. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's so bizarre.
1: It's unacceptable. It's like
2: they're not even watching it.
1: I get so mad about that stuff. And I'm just like,
2: well, the reason you're asking questions is because you're not paying attention.
1: So this is all fucking pointless. Also, sometimes
2: it's really obvious. I don't mind if it's like, who's Kaiser Soze? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, it's different when it's like, where does this, what city is that? And it's like, well, there's the empire state building, you (laughs) stupid idiot. (laughs) (laughs) That stuff's not.
1: What is the film that made you laugh the most? You're in comedy. You're very funny. What's your funniest film?
2: I remember the first time I saw Team America World Police. Yes. And the first time I saw Wet Hot American Summer. Nice. For my money, those are the two funniest movies I've ever seen.
1: Really solid. Really solid answers. You can have, you can have both of them. Paul Walterhauser, you have been amazing, a joy, a treat. However, when you were 51 years old, there was a mass shooting. Let's say it was about to take place rather than it had happened. No one had been shot yet. But there was a man on the roof. He had a gun. And you, you were doing um, Shakespeare in the Park. You were actually on stage. This was happening. And uh, you were mid-Hamlet. You were doing Hamlet at 51. And everyone was like, but you're funny. Why are you doing such a dramatic piece? And you were like, I could make Hamlet funny. And you walk through. You go, hang on a second. You walk through the crowd. And up on a roof is a man with a gun pointed at this crowd you climb up there you say not today buster and you throw yourself out i would say that (laughs) and grab him and you both fall 31 floors to your death dead i'm walking along people by the way clap they think it might be part of the play but it's only later they realize oh no that was real but you're very convincing either way i'm walking along with a coffin you know what i'm like i'm like what's that mess down there I come over, and go, oh, bloody hell, it's not Paul Waterhouser, is it? He's not tackled a mass shooter, is he? Blood everywhere, your body's in absolute state, you've been squished into the ground. I have to get a concrete digger to get some of you out because you've, like, gone right in the pavement. Anyway, chopping you up, stuff all I can yeah. in the coffin. But there's more of you than I was expecting, what with all the concrete and the bits of the other guys on you as well. Anyway, put you in the coffin, it's full. So busy in there, there's really only enough room to slide one DVD into the side of the coffin for you to take across Whoa. to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show the puppies and babies in heaven when it's your movie night, Mr. Paul Walterhauser?
2: Ooh. It's tough, but I think I have to go with the short film The Rope. <laughs> it's there's there's this one there's this one there's this one performance. <laughs> By this actor, uh, he plays the man tied to the woman. And it is
1: really something.
2: I encourage everyone to find it.
1: You know what is weird? I was thinking about the short film The Rope this morning because I did as an actor, for those of you, Paul Walter has obviously just looked on my IMDb Years and years ago in the early days, I did a short film called The Rope with like a French art art, art film director. And it's a really beautiful film, except I play uh, the back of a, a woman is tied to a man and the entire film is on the woman so I was literally sort of just a man carrying around this woman and I remember doing an awful lot of acting but you don't see anything, you just see my back and it was like a week, literally the woman's sort of tied on me back to back and I'm just carrying her like a like a sack for a week and I really injured my back at the end of that and I remember thinking when I saw it that probably wasn't worth it <laughs> But the people that they have it really going to enjoy it.
2: I love that I dug that up for you. Um, <laughs> I No, my, my my co-answer, real answer would be Pearl Harbor, the Michael Bay film. Okay. Because it's the yeah. second movie, the second movie my wife and I ever saw. She uh, wanted to watch it. We, we rented it on some streamer and watched it together and then talked for like hours afterwards and then made out. And that was uh, kind of the beginning of the relationship for real. Also, if people see it in my casket, if people yeah. see it in my casket and don't know that story, they still think it's super funny, like yeah. Paul did it to be ironic, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I, I win either way. I make my wife yeah. cry, I make my friends laugh, and yeah. I'm surrounded by puppies and babies going, who's next?
1: It, yeah, Let's this guy's cool. Uh, what's your favorite film?
2: My favorite film of all time genuinely is It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Okay. Paul Waterhauser, I'm so grateful for your time and for doing this. Is yeah, is there anything you want to tell people to look out for other than your live stand updates, which will be coming soon when you do a set with me?
2: Wow. Okay, done and done, man. You can see me. I'm I'm playing Hercules for Disney and Marvel coming up. I don't know. Have you heard about have you heard about that? They it's kind of a no, no. industry secret. It's not really out yet. I guess oh, that cool, could be cool. my other secret, but they uh I guess they were recasting it because they said the yeah. guy they had was pretty pretty problematic. Really funny, really good actor, <laughs> really handsome, but just like shows up late all the time. And they're like, yeah. we need somebody who's gonna be on time. And I'm like, yeah. dude,
1: that's me. I'm your yeah. guy. I I, I I certainly heard from Clint Eastwood that you were punctual. That was sort of all he had to say.
2: <laughs> that was all he said. Punctual <laughs> and uh and really wiped out craft service. Really, really wiped out crafty. <laughs> People can see me next year in a Netflix animated film, which I can't really talk about yet, but it's one of our greatest storytellers is involved and I got to do a voice in it. I have a movie I did with Sydney Sweeney. She and I starred in a movie called National Anthem. That comes out next year. And I play a pivotal, strong supporting role in the TV series, The After Party for Apple, which comes out next Ah, year.
1: Ah, with lovely, lovely Sam Richardson. Yeah. Um, So...
2: The cartoon's a dramedy, the movie's a drama, and the TV show is a comedy. So, per what usual, i trying, trying to give a little bit of everything.
1: Mm. A little
2: bit of everything.
1: God bless you, Paul Waterhouse. Thank you very much for doing this. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Good day to you, sir. So that was episode 226. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash breakolstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets, and video with Paul. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and talk about the film that means the most to you and why. My neighbour Maureen loves reading them. It always makes her cry, and she's very grateful for them. I hope you're all well. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Paul for giving me his time. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come join me next week for another smasher of a guest. I hope you're all well. So that is it for now. In the meantime... Have a lovely week and please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor is Maureen. Yeah, thank you.